Thanks for listening to this special episode of Trilove. Uh, on this one, we talk to Jonathan Hertzberg, founder of the New York-based boutique film label Fun City Editions. Two films Fun City released in 2021 played at the Trilon, uh, Radio On from 1979 and 1985's Walking the Edge. Special thanks to John Moret, film programmer at the Trilon, for setting us up with Jonathan. As of this recording, Fun City is about to put out Spine Number no. 9 on its catalog. That's Morvern Keller, a 2002 film by director Lynn Ramsey. It is available for pre-order and purchase at funcityeditions.com, but we've got links in the show notes, too. Uh, we really hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did. Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Thank you very much for listening to Trilove. This is a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org where you can get tickets and find other cool ways to support that little theater that we love so much. My name is Jason Daphnis. I help make this show. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I'm Harry Mackin. You can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. As you might have been able to tell, this is not uh, one of our regular episodes where we'd be talking about a specific movie. Rather, we are thrilled to have the opportunity to talk to Jonathan Hertzberg, uh, founder of Fun City Editions, with a very specific, excuse me, very special conversation episode. Um, welcome to the show, Jonathan. Thank you guys for having me. So I could babble about Fun City Editions and probably screw up the mission statement. And uh, how about you just give me the quick lowdown on what Fun City Editions is and uh, why people should know about it? Sure. Uh, so, so basically, uh, we are a we're a film and sometime music label, although we don't have any uh, records out yet. That's that's coming soon. But, you know, basically, uh, we're we're reissuing, uh, you know, a range of back catalog titles thing. I, I like to call them movies that exist outside of their time, which is another way of saying movies that slipped through the cracks, movies that were, you know, before their time or or, or, or a little too hot to handle then. Um, and, uh, and so, so far, most of our releases have been, uh, for, for Blu-ray, although in some cases, as you guys know, we had some movies playing at the Trilon. We do sometimes have theatrical rights and streaming rights, uh, as well, but most people know us at this point for our, for our Blu-ray output, mm -hmm. um, which are distributed over at, uh, Vinegar Syndrome. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that, if that it's hard, you know, we're not a, we're not a straight, like it's not like we're a horror label or we do silent films. It's a little bit harder to categorize what we do. I usually just say, look at, you know, go to our website or like, look at our, you know, look at our spines on the shelf. And then it kind of makes a little more sense. Um, mm -hmm. you know, what, what, what we, or what I'm trying to do. Yeah, I've uh, I caught a couple of interviews with you before we started recording, uh, and that was one of the things that I found most interesting is that you don't really want to be, you know, 
tied down to a label, you don't necessarily, even though horror would be the really easel, easy way to uh, build an audience and get sort of that quick acclaim, quick hits sort of thing, that that's not really the reputation you want to garner just because it's, you know, it's saturated, right? Um, right. Actually, I think it would be harder to do horror just because there's so many other labels that are doing it really well. So, right, right. you know, if I can find something, I like to, I like to find films that sort of maybe maybe dabble a little bit in genre or have some genre elements but then they're they're not really that like i start counting is a good example of that which was uh, our second release which is like a coming of age film crossed with a psychosexual thriller so it's a little it's a little bit of both um and and that's like that for me is perfect because if I could bring in some genre, you know, that is a that, not necessarily even just not necessarily horror, but the genre in general is mm-hmm. is obviously, especially because we're you know our our uh, a lot of the collectors are horror genre collectors, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it helps to have a little bit, even right. if that's not the main you know focus. Right. And to be well-rounded. Um, speaking of well-rounded, uh, one of the things we love about the trial on so much is the variety of programming that they managed to pull in there. Uh, we're constantly surprised and I should, uh, that's my really clumsy segue to talking about how we actually came into contact with you. Uh, John Moret, right. film programmer at the trial on, um, gave us your information, said you might want to talk. Uh, and here we are. Can you tell me a little bit about your history with the trial on or your connection to it? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I know John because I spent uh, a lot of years uh, working in uh, art house distribution for different uh, uh, companies in New York, uh, most recently for a company called Kino Lorber. And my main job was um, theatrical booking. So I, so John and I, I know John from programming him, booking a lot of movies uh, with me uh, from when I was at Kino. And, uh, and, you know, we've, you know, met, uh, you know, been met in person a few times at, at, a at a conference, um, that, uh, used to happen every year in Utah called the art house convergence, which is a meeting of, uh, exhibitors and distributors. So, and then, yeah, John and I are just, you know, regularly sharing recently watched lists and things like that. And, uh, yeah, he was really excited to show, some fun city uh, movies at the theater. And I, you know, obviously was, uh, you know, flattered and honored. So. But we were really excited to see them come. That's the history. Yeah. We were really excited to see them come across the programming schedule. Of course, uh, tragedy of tragedies. None of us were able to actually make it just out of comfort (laughs) around the COVID situation. We bought our tickets and we managed to get to see versions of it. Thanks very much to you. But um, I guess, Talking about, you know, your previous career with Kino, uh, Mm -hmm. what, what aspects of, um, the business of film distribution, restoration, uh, you know, booking, showing, et cetera. What, what aspects of that business has your work with fun city editions shown you that, um, you didn't get to see with, uh, Kino Lorber. So, you know, at, at Kino, um, and, and before that I, I, I worked with, uh, IFC films doing theatrical booking as well. You know, my, my day job or, or my main directive was to, um, get you know market and sell the films to to theaters uh but i've always been a collector uh of physical media as you can see our listeners can't see but behind me the shelf of records and laser discs and other ephemera there mm-hmm. uh and piled around me too um so i've always been a collector but it, you know just by the by circumstance and the way these you end up in these jobs i didn't see i never set out to be a theatrical booker but uh <laughs> You know, um, 
happy to be, I was happy to be working in film. Um, but it was, these are, you know, it was a small company. So I was able to, um, stick my nose in other areas and learn about other parts of the business that might not have been my main, um, uh, you know, specific to my job, my daily responsibilities. Um, you know, whether it was marketing or acquisitions or design, plus uh, I, I just kind of, you know, through that and just through my own enthusiasm as a, as a collector, I just, you know, sort of spent a lot of time building up a Rolodex of, of uh, contacts, uh, you know, people in the business. Um, so that by the time I launched Fun City, I already knew a lot of people that were, you know, on the, maybe more on the home video side who could really, you know, if I had a question, you know, I could, I could reach out to any number of people like about what's the contract, you know, supposed to look like, or, you know, can you connect me with this rights holder or that rights holder? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, networking and just kind of trying to soak up as much as I could. Yeah. And I, was luckily, I was able, I was able to do that there. No, I mean, seems like it's working out so far. One of the things that I was remarking uh, on with the fellows before you joined was, <clears throat> excuse me, how in conversations with John about like his work at the Trilon uh, and how he's managed to get such a really healthy programming slate is like how much of that work and this industry itself is just having conversations, just building rapport, building relationships. Um, this is my last follow up. We should actually get into talking about more specifics, but I'm actually really interested what it's like building that relationship in this space. You mentioned a conference that used to go on. Um, is it a whole right. lot of just emails and hoping that they understand how passionate you are about the thing? What is it like trying to open up that relationship and make it lucrative with, uh, you know, distributors or with somebody like at, you know, vinegar syndrome. Right. Well, make, well make it lucrative is, is, is maybe not accurate, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we're, none of us are in this business, um, to get rich. Uh, we're, you know, it's, it's really, uh, for the love. um, and, you know, and in theatrical in particular, you know, it's it's tough right now, obviously, you know, given the ongoing situation. And I feel for my friends like John and other programmers uh, around the country. Um, uh, but as far as in the day to day and that in that part of the business, you know, at this point, it, it's primarily email. Um, nobody really talks on the phone that much anymore. Well, um, God damn it. We got to get people back on the phone. Um, you know, no, there were always some customers that you would talk to on the phone and they tended to be the older, they tended to be the boomers. They tended to uh. be the previous generation. Um, and then, but the thing is, is like, you know, time is money and, you know, sometimes you just don't have time to schmooze like that um, anymore. But then the good thing about the art house convergence and things like that was you would get the in-person time. And yeah, for sure it was uh, valuable to be able to, you know, uh, actually meet guys like John in person and, you know, mm-hmm. have a beer and just bullshit about, you know, movies in general. And then, yeah, yeah, it's a sales position. I'm, I'm not the greatest uh, salesperson, to be honest with you. Like I said, I, I never sought out that job, but, uh, but that is a big part of it is those relationships for mm-hmm. sure. So. Yeah. Well, and, uh, it's, it's really interesting. I, I have always wondered how long those sort of um, how long it takes to, to build or foment those kind of relationships or sort of how they how they begin. Um, I thought a, a really good place to start might be Morvin Collar, which is an awesome release that you just put together. Um, and I was mm. I was sort of wondering if you could walk us through the process of like, how did that come to be? And, and who did you have to talk to? Um, that was actually something. That was actually a conversation I started 
several years ago, actually, at my previous job. And like what happens a lot of times is um, sometimes, you know, a lot of times uh, things, there's so many, you're working with, you know, where I was working before, uh, sometimes my acquisition, sometimes my ideas would, would bear fruit and other people would say, yeah, that's a great idea. And other times they would just kind of fall by the wayside. And this was one of those times. And I say, and I'm, I'm thankful for it because it was still around for me now with fun city editions. But what happened with that was just that I knew the film and, you know, had seen it when it came out and, and, and really, you know, I really loved it. And I, I saw, you know, there was definitely like a, uh, a gap in the marketplace. It wasn't available in a good version, but it was still like a popular movie. It would play, um, at theaters repertory. It would play like at the Metrograph in New York and it would sell out and people were talking about it on social media. So I just started doing some digging around and then I was put in touch. I found the contact for the producer of that film. And then I, I don't remember, uh, there's a whole chain of emails, but I was talking to her, you know, and then I found the rights holder in the U S and started having conversations with them about licensing the film. And then it just kind of, like I said, it was a little, I don't remember how much before COVID it was. It was maybe a, it might've been a year before that, but a year and a half. But like I said, a lot of stuff at, you know, would just kind of slip through the cracks and it didn't happen. And then I just picked it up again. I had all those contacts. I knew who owned the film in the U S with fun city. And I just kind of picked up the conversation with them again. Uh, I don't know. It's not that exciting. Uh, no, I mean, a lot of times what it is, is you see, Oh, a movie's playing. Oh, who'd they license it from? Uh, you know, in the case of Morvern, I don't think those, a lot of those screens were not licensed, um, which is, uh, which happens that, a lot. Happens that does a lot. happen a lot. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, because what happens is people don't know who has the rights. They don't really always try to look, maybe they don't try to look that hard or maybe they just don't know. I don't know. I don't want to, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've been a programmer before. I mean, more of my time has been spent on the, on the, on the distributor side, but, but it, you know, the same principles are at work. You know, you, everyone kind of, you, you, you know, you look around IMDB, IMDB pro, and, you know, do company searches and, mm-hmm. you know, you, you got to do a little detective work, but it's not like, it's not rocket science. Um, so, but yeah, for whatever reason, people didn't know where Morvern was and I, I knew. So I, I was, I was thankful that it fell through at my old job and it was, you know, still there waiting. For yeah. Me to, you left it in uh, the sand for a thousand years and it became <laughs> even more valuable this time around. Um, you know, thinking about what you were mentioning about, uh, you know, securing some of those, um, rights from publishers, from producers and, you know, whoever owns the rights. Um, I guess even more specifically, how much does that, I guess you're, you're what you were saying about, like, it's not about nobody's in it for the money sort of thing, especially not at the scale that we're talking about. Um, how much does like the passion of it or like your interest in it personally really factor into the conversation when you're talking to like a producer who's probably got a certain number of copies they would expect to sell or like a certain financial commitment that they're looking for from you? How much does that play into the conversation? And is it a convincing part of it? Oh, um, no, I think definitely it, 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 you know, it all depends on who you're talking to. Sometimes you're getting films from a large, you know, from a studio or from a big sales company. And sometimes it's from straight from the filmmaker or from the filmmaker's estate. Uh, and so um, that can factor in a lot or, 
mean nothing. It, you know, they it, a lot of times it really, frankly, is just about the money. Um, you know, and meeting meet you know meeting a price or coming meeting in the middle somewhere. Mm-hmm. Honestly, um, so but I mean, I'm doing it. I wouldn't want to make a living doing it. Uh, it, but it's basically, you know, at this point to be able to just keep, I'm doing what I love right now. And, uh, so I, I couldn't feel, you know, more fortunate than I, than I do to be, mm-hmm. to be able to be doing this right now. And like I said, as long as I can like pay my bills and I can keep doing more, you know, growing the business, uh, that mm-hmm. that's basically, uh, you know, that's the goal. And, and, um, yeah, I can honestly say, like, I'm a one man. I am a one man band at this point, and and um, yeah, I mean, that can go. You know, it, you know, maybe if if there's a competition, if there's another party that wants the same movie, maybe maybe that's in my favor because I'm going to give more attention to that movie than a larger company, or it might go the other way. They might just have be able to roll a, you know, a dump truck of money up, and that's it. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll just move on. Do you feel like you're sometimes then just like trying to beat that guy to the punch show, hoping that like, Oh, I, Jonathan, am really interested in this movie. I hope that I can talk to the rights producer or the rights holder before like somebody at arrow does or not to like specifically, you know, call out any other distributors, but does it ever feel like you're in a race? Well, no, I mean, you're always just trying to find, I mean, the way I look at you, you, if you look at the stuff that I've released, a lot of them were, a lot of the titles are things that like I, that I felt some, you know, kinship with or that I really liked, but I recognize them as being maybe, uh, not as well known. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but I saw some potential in them or I saw a way that I could market them or, you know, hooks in them that I could, that I could, you know, make them, you know, more relevant. Um, be, you know, but, and, and, and I feel like that's kind of, uh, uh, the way for me anyway, that makes the most sense. Also, I like trying to put things out for the, that haven't been out before trying to find things that haven't been done umpteen times. It's just more, uh, you know, I, if arrow or criterion or, you know, Kino or Eureka or someone else has already done a totally tricked out edition of a film. It just doesn't really make so much. Uh, why I, you know, I don't, if, if I don't want to try to one up something that's already been done. Great. But the sure. other, but the but the other benefit of that is that maybe you're looking at titles that aren't um, being vetted by other companies, or that you're not competing with other companies, and you don't, you know, then it's not really like a race per se. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I, you know, there, it's like I was saying before about horror. You know, it's like, well, there's like Shout Factory, and there's Vinegar Syndrome, and there's Arrow. There's like so many labels that are doing uh, Mondo Macabro. You know that they're they're scouring those they're really digging for those uh deep cuts at this point and also like obviously like you know putting out like the 4k uhd of the of the big titles uh that's another thing you know in terms of how do you reintroduce some of these things to the market again oh well you know 4k uhd is is sort of the next or the final frontier probably yeah. for physical media anyway uh, so yeah, to me, there's already, you know, I, I, I feel like you have to try to, you have to find another niche, um, because there's so many movies, there's just still so much stuff out there. Right. It's maybe not easily classifiable. And so, uh, 
then I get a lot of people like saying, Hey, you do anything, right? How about that? You know, people throw <laughs> all sorts of suggestions at me and I'm like, ah, well, there is, there is some, there is some calculus here. I can't tell you exactly what, but right. this might not fit. I don't know. You know, but also well, like, you know, it, no, I'm it, sorry, it, go ahead. no, but, the, but sometimes, the, sometimes people's suggestions are right on. Sometimes people get it. Like they're like, I don't know how, but they're like, yeah, there's this, you have this weird, quirky, idiosyncratic kind of, there's something that they get the connection. They see how like, oh, these movies fit, even though like on the surface, they might be completely different. Um, yeah, that's that's sort of the magic of it, right? Is that especially um, at Fun City, because you don't have like a, a prescri- prescribed genre, right. you have to find that like that perfect balance of it's something that like kind of fits your theme nebulous though you may think that is at, at sometimes and it has to make money right for for you and for the the continuation of the company so like what what does that look like how do you know it when you see it right like what what makes a um, a movie that exists outside of its time work for you right yeah i i mean well that's that's the thing it, it's like it's not even like i'm trying to i'm not even like trying to hide a formula you know i mean part of it's like i well people ask me and i say in the most general sense you gotta really i feel like you have to really like it uh you have to or or there has to be some combination of you like it you know where you it's available uh you know you can meet the price um there's materials available from which to do a proper restoration and you see a way that you you can market it and sell it basically it's like it has to. I feel like everything kind of has to have those those factors, and 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 but you know the the levels may be different on different titles. Obviously, I'm not going to like every title equally, and there's some titles that I'm going to be more lukewarm on. But other there's other factors which say, oh well, it's a good you know it's a good deal. Uh, it's available. It hasn't come out before. Like I can make it work, mm-hmm. even though it might not be something I love. Like like Jeremy or something, which is very close to my heart. You know, this is not every single movie is going to hold the same uh, place like that. Right. And you're but I mean, the lucky thing about that part. is, but it, it will be for somebody, right? Like every movie is somebody's favorite movie. So it's, it's that's nice at least. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, that, that well, that, again, that goes back to uh, what I was saying before, like, Oh, I can see there's a market for it, or I I can see a way that I I, I can I, I, if I can if I feel like I can make it relevant. Since so many of these films are older films, and a lot of times films that are more obscure, or lesser known, like how can I make it relevant to something that's more current or better known? That's another thing. Like when I think of like marketing hooks, you know, mm-hmm. oh, if you like this movie, or you like this director, or you like this actor then you should probably check you're going to probably you're going to probably dig this movie because mm-hmm. it you know it will it checks off some of those boxes well now that we've sort of set the trap by getting you to commit to at least the broadest most arbitrary set of rules for what like makes one what made you think that walking the edge and radio on the two films that you managed to secure theatrical release at the trial on were mm-hmm. like the, these were ones you wanted to pursue that the pieces were going to line up that like the hooks were there what what about them was uh, was such was so fun city. Well, first I'll say that both that these two movies are probably. It's funny that John want John programmed them because he's because well because he's a lovely guy and he and he was trying to support Fun City and those are the two movies I could book with him so he booked them together. Um, that being said, 
they they don't mesh maybe as well together as they're pretty disparate is what I'm saying. Mm. Like in, in my, in my catalog, because radio on is probably the, the most art house film that we have. And then walking the edge is about the most grindhouse film that we have. Um, but as far as like what made them attractive to me, well, uh, in the case of radio on, it hasn't really come out here before. Uh, and I knew, uh, uh, a, a good friend of mine who um, heads up or is one of the heads of the BFI uh, archiving and restoration um, department was working on Radio On. In fact, I'd been bugging him about Radio On for a couple of years. So I, I, I feel like some of how that got greenlit over there was because um, they sort of knew they already had a, a you know, a, a captive audience or customer in me in this in this market because they Mm -hmm. own the film uh worldwide so but so radio on didn't really have a lot of exposure in the states before so and then it has a great soundtrack and it has um you know it has as i was saying before it has like obvious connections to better known films uh vim vendors films all the road movies that he did uh two-lane blacktop in fact vim vendors is a producer of radio on so it and then again the soundtrack you know is a great selling point and uh, and the fact that it really hasn't come out here before and of course that the restoration was actually already being done or was done so that's a rare case where we didn't have to do the restoration it was already a top you know you know top level beautiful restoration um and then with walking the edge walking the edge had been out of circulation for a long time and Mm -hmm. uh it was one of those movies that was like a, a vinegar syndrome kind of movie. And I have a relationship with those, with those guys, obviously as my distributor, I'm a partner label. And, but I saw it as like a title that I, you know, could make fit for fun city as well. Um, but it was a movie that I knew had demand. I, I knew the film um, and the DVD was long out of print. And it, it was from like the very, early days, like 1999, 2000, uh, of the, of the medium. So it was, oh. you know, ripe kind of for, uh, you know, re-release. So mm-hmm. that was another one. I just, you know, kind of dug around and, um, used my contacts to track down where the rights were and get, and get, and, you know, secure the rights for that film. And so, I'm, you know, that was, yeah. you know, basically it. So similar principles at play, even though they're different, you know, and you know, they're very different films. Yeah. You got to break out that Rolodex either way. Um, so, uh, not a literal Rolodex. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> listen, I don't think you look that old, John. Um, the, again, this was our, like, if we want to get spicy with it question, if you could snap your fingers and just have one movie, like what's the one that you would love above all else to release on fun city. If there was like, if only there was a market for it, like, you know, that nobody's going to be able to like, it's not going to justify it's, its cost, mm. its investment. Mm. Is there one that sticks out in your mind? There isn't, there isn't a, no, there isn't really a one. Um, actually, believe it or not, uh, I, it, for me, the, um, the deterrent, I don't really feel deterred at this point. Uh, I'm, and I'm, and I'm, I'm thankful actually. I'm not, and I'm not even, I'm not exaggerating. Like, I don't really feel like anything is impossible in terms of like, marketability i mean Mm. i there probably is something but nothing that like in my mind there's not like something i'm uh, like on a big a big wish list where i'm just like oh no i could never do that movie because i can never 
you know, make it work, um, right. you know, on a, you know, financially or whatever. Uh, but more often it's just like, Oh, it's, it's behind closed doors. It's a, you know, it's, it's a, it's a title that's not available for one reason or another because the rights holder, no one knows who owns it or the rights holder doesn't want to make a deal. I would say, okay, well, one that I and a lot of other labels would love to do, um, and it would fit perfectly for us because it's a fun city, New York movie, um, would be night of the juggler. That would be a, that would be like a, hmm. a, a white whale kind of uh, title. And that's one that people will suggest to me a lot. Uh, like, Oh, I got one for you. It's, yeah, you know, like, and you don't, you know, and I can never, you can't respond like with like a, you know, sarc- I, I never respond like in a snarky way, like, oh, you know, or, are, are you crazy? If, like, of course we've thought of that. I mean, you know, but sometimes people will send these suggestions and, you know, you're kind of like, well, yeah, duh, but you don't respond <laughs> that way. But that's a movie that like is a movie that has gr- its audience or its cult has kind of grown in the last uh, several years. And definitely, our, you know, my audience, a fun city's audience is there's, you know, people that are looking at that like, oh, this is a great, that's a, it's a New York, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the movie, but no, it's a late 70s, early 80s, uh, New York, it's completely filmed in New York, um, thriller with uh, James Brolin and Cliff Gorman, and um, it's never been, uh, and it's a lot of fun, uh, you you know, maybe the Trilon will show it, uh, there is a print, uh, it's pretty faded, um, but it's a movie that's never been on DVD, Um you know, it's, it's long been out of legit circulation. And the issue is that the, um, the big conglomerate that owns it is like not a film company at all. It's like a pharmaceutical mm. company or something. So for them, oh, it's man. like s- such uh, small potatoes that, um, there's like, you know, they're just kind of like, well, if you want to, like, if you want us to activate our, our, our like legal department, you know, you got to hit this, you know, oh, I've seen number because it's kind of like chicken feed to them. Um, uh, I mean, that's what I understand from other people that got a little further in that, in the conversation. Um, wow. so it's unfortunate, but that's just like how it is. Sometimes, um, a lot of these, you know, if a film wasn't produced, um, it was independently produced like that was a film that was independently produced. It was sold and distributed, uh, at the time it came out by a major studio, but, uh, over time, those rights lapsed and it, they did, the studio didn't own it. So it went back to, you know, an individual, you know, or a, or a production company. And then that company got absorbed in some buyout of a buyout of a buyout, that, mm. you know, that kind of thing. And that's how, like, you know, a company like Procter & Gamble owns <laughs> the Heartbreak Kit. <laughs> oh, my God. It's archaeology yeah. is what you're doing. Yeah, it, well, yeah, yeah, it's that. It's det- it's detective. It is a lot of digging. Um, but uh, but yeah, and that's a fun part. Of it. I think that's a, that's honestly a fun part of uh, this business. I mean, frustrating too. Right, yeah, a lot of sure. dead ends. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that sounds like we'll have to get in John's ear about um, tracking down that print and, and showing it. We'll do some digging of our own, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah I- he should absolutely. <laughs> I, I I pretty sure he's seen the movie at this point. Um, yeah, yeah, you oh, should show. Yeah. You guys, would, you guys would love it. I, I, I mean, I guarantee it. It's definitely one of the one of the um, one of the. You know, it's sort of the last gasp of the seventies. Uh, it was came out in nineteen eighty, but they filmed it in the in the in the like, seventy eight. Um, and it's it's that grimy, fun city, New York. Um, a lot of you know, a lot of good 
you know, 42nd Street deuce kind of footage. And yeah. Yeah. It's going to sound like perfect for the trial on. <laughs> um, yeah. I guarantee you it would be, yeah. well. it's got a, it's, it's like I said, it's got a, like a cult following that's kind of been brewing the last few years. Uh, so right. I think it would do well. Yeah. Oh, I, I wouldn't doubt it. Um, yeah. And thank you for um, uh, humoring our, our spicy question. I guess pulling it back in, you know, looking uh, the flip side, you know, we, you've dropped, name dropped a, a, a lot of, you know, titles. You know, we, we've already talked about Radio One, Walking the, uh, Walking the Edge, yeah. uh, Morven Caller. Um, yeah. uh, Jeremy got a, a, a shout out. Um, just thinking about, so with Morven Caller, um, you know, that puts y'all, I believe, at, at nine completed releases as of this month. Is that, or am I completely botching that? No, no, you're right. You're right. Okay. It's nine, except uh, Primetime Panic was a box set, so there's technically uh, gotcha. three movies in that set. But yes, it is our ninth okay. uh, spine number. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, perfect. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, it was still sort of in, in, um, you know, the, uh, I guess the, the early goings here and, and we, we've sort of picked your brain about all the variables that go into like securing rights, securing titles, like what do you bring into the fold? What, what is it sort of based on? And I guess just like looking, looking at this, like this, uh, this band of titles that you have, you know, your sort of first batch of, of children, so to speak. I don't know why I went with that. Um, but you know, like, does, does that feel like, does right now feel like, you know, a, a good place to be, I guess, if you want to think about, you know, like numbers, like pace, like, does this, does this feel comfortable? Is there anything like that you wish you were doing differently, maybe with regards to like, just looking at the pure numbers, or is that really sort of a, a, a nonsensical way to think about it? No, no, it's not, not at all. No, I mean, it's definitely like, I'm not a, you know, uh, I've never had my own business before and, and certainly other, there's other business owners that would be a lot, have a lot more of, you know, of a plan and, and a forecast and, um, kind of a, uh, a rollout, uh, probably better planned out than, than I have. Um, but yeah, I'd like to, I mean, I, you know, I'm, at, I'm, it's, it, it's still, even though, uh, it's been about, a a year and a half or so since our first release dropped, which was Alphabet City um, in the summer of 2020. Um, you know, we're getting up, we're, we're starting to get up to like, like 10 would be a, is a nice, um, one of those benchmark uh, numbers for a catalog. Um, and, you know, we're getting close to that. And I mean, and the, and the importance of that is that obviously I don't, I'm only one person and I'm kind of like going on a, you know, one title at a time kind of, uh, rollout at this point. I mean, ideally I'd like to be, get to one title a month. Um, and it just doesn't look like it's going to happen. Um, in 2022, although, um, we have a lot of stuff in the pipeline, it's just a matter of the pace or the schedule of when things are materials and things are available. So, um, we might have some, we may actually have some, um, some months where, uh, we don't have something new, uh, and, and the importance of having the back catalog is that you have a floor, you have some things that are still, you, you have enough things, uh, still percolating and generating some income when you don't have something new, because obviously when you have something new, uh, coming out that, you know, you get a nice bump. I mean, most of the sales happen at the beginning. Um, and then, you know, your license period is for, you know, there's very, you know, varying numbers, you know, they, you know, they could be three years, it'd be five years, seven years, but you know, most of the sales are going to happen in the first year. Uh, so when you don't have something new, 
you need to have some other stuff. You need to have a back backlog of stuff that's making money for you every month. Um, you know, so yeah, no, it's a totally good, it's not nonsensical. It's a, it's a, it's a good question. So when you were, when you were talking about marketability and everything, um, you said something that I didn't surprise me, but it's really exciting, which is that you felt like there's, there's ne- never, um, you would never go without a movie uh, because there's not an audience for it, right? Like that's the part that's easy. The part that's hard is finding the distribution rights and everything. Um, that that seems really exciting to me because um, I feel like that hasn't always been the case, right? Like the, the the audience for that is hungry for restorations like this is not, it, it hasn't always been there. It feels like it's bigger now than it has been. Um, how do you account for that? Or like, what do you think your audience is and why do you, why have you found it the way you have? Well, I might have bitten off more than I could chew when I said what I said before in terms of I can, you know, market and sell anything. Um, at least that's how <laughs> it sounded when it, when you were, when you were, when you were feeding it back to me, I said, wow. Um, but it could, um, I mean, it also depends on, you know, everyone, different companies have different, um, expectations or different, you know, um, uh, you know, thresholds for, you know, what, uh, you know, uh, title would, you know, what kind of, what income a title would need to generate. And also like, obviously if you have more titles and you have something that's really big, uh, that can help to, you know, float something which is smaller or more, more niche. Um, but, but, but repeat, sorry, the, the second part of your question. Um, yeah, for sure. I just like, um, it seems like there's a big audience for this stuff now or like, oh, it's right. big, and where yeah. do you think that comes from? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I, actually, I think I've been thinking this for for um, several years, actually, that a lot of uh, the best, I feel like a lot of the, a lot of the restoration, a lot of the really great work um, that's been done the last several years or the last decade has been by, um, by these home video labels uh, like like vinegar syndrome or like arrow or um, I mean, BFI is a label, you know, they're a larger organization, you know, archive as well. But I feel like a lot of um, a lot of the really good work, um, you know, where it used to be mostly the domain of, you know, an archive like a MoMA or something like that. um, I feel like a lot of, I'm not sure what has driven it, but I do feel that yes, a lot of uh, there's been a, there's been a lot of restoration of films that maybe previously, um, like genre films, for instance, that were maybe previously not being um, restored or paid as much attention to. And so, one of the great things about the you know uh, the the collect the strong collector base that we have, even though this is a very niche. Um, uh, market or niche part of this of the industry at this point that the, that there are so many of the collect so many of the collectors do are interested in some of these um, you know what were previously more you know disreputable kinds of films or mm. thought of that way uh, now you know it seems like there's um, an equal number of restorations of the highest 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 art and then also you know, you've got, uh, you know, you have labels, you have, you have, like I said, like vinegar syndrome. Um, I don't want to say they were the only ones doing this, but they, they're certainly, uh, one of the prominent, uh, 
labels out there that are that have been sort of given that criterion treatment or you know MoMA treatment to you know films that previously that you know weren't being sniffed before. But like I said, everyone's doing the thing is, I hate I, I, I even felt a little feel a little weird, you know, um, uh, sort of putting these labels in these categories, because at the same time, you know, I mean, vinegar syndrome is has has done restorations on, you know, things like Putney Swope or or, um, uh, you know, Sweet Sweetback. Uh, and, you know, these are, you know, so it. Everyone and Criterion has been dipping much more into genre stuff and things that they didn't maybe necessarily previously do. So the you know the canon is being expanded, and I do think that a lot of that is um, being done for the home video market because mm-hmm. you know uh, I I do feel I feel like the there you know you have where you have the ease of of building a home theater now and having you know that's become a lot more affordable to have a really good home setup. So, um, you know, so the audience demands, uh, you know, the best possible, you know, AV quality. So, yeah, I do think that, um, the improvement in the technology, home, home technology, not, not to mention the fact that we've not really been able to go to movies consistently for the last, like almost two years now. Right. So it's definitely gotten even more of a bump the, you know, just, you know, a lot of these companies, uh, you know, have had their best years, uh, on home video sales since COVID. So, yeah. Um, you know, building from that maybe, uh, and maybe we're going to tread a little bit of ground, um, retread a little bit of ground with the question, but I've, I was really interested in one of the interviews I read with you where, uh, you and the interviewer were talking about like almost brand loyalty. I don't think you use the term brand loyalty, but the concept that like with a criterion or an arrow, if you like me, average consumer guy, who's perfectly the market for these kinds of things, I might not know the film, but mm-hmm. the art looks fucking sick. And yeah. the whole the whole release just you can tell they've got some really sweet ass uh, you know, special features and they really put their whole hearts into the release and stuff. I feel like that and I guess it's not so much feel as like I observe that that creates a brand around the imprint around the, you know, distributor. Um mm-hmm. how much of that like to what extent is that like community building, brand building exercise? To what extent is that part of the fun cities editions mission and like maybe as a secondary follow-up how do you feel that concept informing the titles you pursue oh well well i I would say like obviously brand loyalty um building that uh devoted core that's gonna be on board with everything or almost everything i mean that's Mm -hmm. obvious that you know that's that's a obvious goal yeah i mean it's it's uh um it's a, you know, it's basically, um, helps you to, it, it makes those risky titles more feasible. Uh, mm-hmm. if you know, you've got people at this point that are on board that love what you do. And I mean, it's great. It's completely a dream to have that and it's flattering mm-hmm. and all that. And also, yes, it's for, you know, for the survival of your business, you, you need, you obviously need that, um, that, uh, and that comes from, yeah, that, that comes from, uh, you know, building some kind of brand identity, something that people, um, you know, can can get with. And yeah, part of that is definitely the design. And uh, there's a lot of competition out there. And so, and people have, you know, don't have unlimited shelf space. So yeah, definitely having something that looks, that people are going to 
like an object that's that's not only just a movie, but you know also uh, you know kind of an art object, um, mm-hmm. which you know it, which is not I I don't even think such a leap because you know there are incredible artists and designers that are doing these covers, these new, this new artwork, uh, for all these labels every month. Um, you know, and I've been just, uh, tickled to have, to be working with, cause I mean, I'm not an artist or a designer myself, but, um, I love that part of the, you know, that part of the, this, of this job is, of um, you know, kind of putting a new, you're putting a new, uh, fresh coat of paint on, 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 um, you know, these older, uh, forgotten some oftentimes not always but forgotten uh or neglected films and and i think part of you know not only restoring the film but like you know remarketing it you know which you know involves new artwork it's it's all it's all part of it Mm -hmm. and um definitely i mean when people say that jeremy was like they never heard of the movie before but they saw the slip cover and the reverse of the slip cover and they just feel like i want that framed like you know i'm like uh, I mean, this is like more, I, I, I love the artwork. I, I was completely like, felt like we nailed it, but I was still like completely blown away by responses like that. And we got that a lot. And I mm-hmm. said, well, I mean, you have people mocking it, people saying, Oh, you know, slip covers, uh, or, you know, it's like colored vinyl, you know, but I think the slip cover is a little more substantive than, than colored vinyl. And I'm a, I'm a vinyl collector as well you can see back there mm-hmm. um but i think like there's something to it like definitely a lot of the films that we put out uh, i start counting and jeremy are two that come immediately to mind people a lot of people really didn't know those movies and uh so i feel like you have to have striking artwork you have to have some packaging that really like you know makes people look like look at it look up and i gotta have that i don't know what that is but that artwork is badass i have to have it right is that a thing that ever comes up in your conversations with the people who own the rights to these films that you would say like we're gonna get some rad young cool hip artist to get it just like the perfect cover and we're going to talk about uh you know blowing it up with special features and doing like just giving it the works does that ever happen in conversations before you've actually secured it or is it like okay we've had the basic conversation we have the rights let's just run with it as far as they'll let us uh you know honestly most of the time you don't really have i haven't really had those conversations uh with the rights holders beforehand or you know sometimes in certain you know sometimes people want to have uh uh you know, some kind of consult, some kind of consultation, some kind mm-hmm. of rights of, you know, to, con- to, to sort of give their okay or say, yeah, I, I like that direction. Um, honestly, it's better when there, there, there isn't that, uh, hmm. you know, um, you know, just because, uh, it, you know, it's just easier if you don't have to have things approved or, um, you know, uh, it, you know, it's one of the, one of the things I like about being a one man band for the most part is I don't, I don't need to have the stuff vetted. Um, so no, it doesn't really come up that much, but I hope that like, as I have things as, as we have, as fun city has more things on the market. And if there's like a title I'm trying to get, and then, you know, someone wants to see what else we've done, that the artwork is part of what you know, if, if there is, if it is something where they want to see what else we've done to to, to sort of see if we're, you know, if we pass muster, uh, you know, it's nice to be able to say, yeah, look at this, look at, these are, you know, these are gorgeous. Like Mm -hmm. these are original, 
you know, newly commissioned, uh, you know, pieces for these, for these films. And we can do that for your film. Yeah. 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 Well, you've got, we always have that. We always have the vintage artwork as a, as like a, you know, as a, as an option, an alternative Hmm. cover, you know, people can flip the, the sleeve around if they want to show, if they want to, you know, showcase the original, uh, artwork. So, Okay. Yeah. That was going to be my next question. If we can just dig even more specifically into some of this, I know we've got just a few minutes left, but I really like what goes through my head when I think about new imprints and, you know, small distributors is how do you settle on that vision? Like the alphabet city cover is, I haven't seen the movie, but as I understand, you don't see that kind of stuff in the movie. It's the vibe that it gives off, right? It's like sort of something that represents it to a new audience. Um, how do you, you that, uh, that whole, like, packaging of it that marketing of it that you've you've spoken about before it works so well right that idea right. that it's like safety's brothers and um like drive and it it makes so much sense but but yeah uh just to sorry jason i don't mean to no please question, but but it's like that's that's you right like that's your vision or how does that come together you know like from conception to reality you've got oh. the physical thing in your hand you know oh you mean like with alphabet city like the cover just like in, in general, right? Like, mm. like, is it, is it that you have the vision and you sort of like put it all together from there or do you know what I, you know what I mean? Like art. Yeah. Art I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, for, yeah. I mean like alphabet city was like a title that I was surprised nobody had put it out on Blu-ray before. Cause I just thought it kind of cried out for high def and it was, had so many, it was so obviously kind of like a, um, I don't know, kind of, you know, one of those pieces uh, uh, that you can, you you could just see like, oh, this is like a movie that like 50 people saw the movie and they all made movies after, you know, that's how I felt like, 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 you know, the, like the old, you know, you know, velvet underground joke, you know, like 50 people bought the record and then they all started bands. I I looked at Alphabet City as being a movie that had like obvious, like the, it was obvious that it was like, you know, in the DNA of like uh, the Nicholas uh, Winding Refn or the Safdie brothers, you know, like it, it just, or, or Grand Theft Auto, you know, the video game, like it's kind of like the proto of all those things. Miami mm-hmm. Vice is even before Miami Vice. So yeah, I just looked at it as like, well, that should be out there. And it's easy to, easy to put, you know, uh, you know, to put a package together for that. I felt like, you know, I, I knew the, um, you know, I knew that art, the, the, the design team, uh, we buy your kids. I just felt like, I mean, you've probably seen there, they've done tons of like record covers for like Mondo and death waltz and, uh, you know, a lot, they've done, they've done posters, movie posters, retro movie posters. I just felt like their art that was like perfectly suited, uh, for that. And I, you know, a good friend of mine has worked with, worked with them before. So he just, you know, put us together and they were, and they're collectors also they're geeks like us. So they, you know, they're, they were like completely, you know, you know, they were totally into it and that, you know, they also did the Rancho Deluxe cover as well. Mm-hmm. And I'd seen some like artwork they had done, which was kind of like acid Western kind of psychedelic style. And that's kind of like, to me was an obvious way to you know, Rancho Deluxe is kind of an acid Western, you know, it's, it's a, it, so it just was like, it seemed like, uh, you know, again, really obvious perfect fit and so mm-hmm. they did those first of, of those first five titles they, they did uh or six titles they did they did two of them yeah uh you have talked a bit about um you know the open sort of like generationally there's an open-mindedness there's like a desire to see these movies re-released even if like we were mentioning you haven't seen the movie before like i'm thinking people my age and younger late 20s to teenage 
I could see them being just like because these films are sort of and because these sort of distributors and maybe you could maybe call it more broadly a movement, a repertory movement uh, is just, you know, penetrating different generations. And there's an Mm -hmm. open mindedness there to like for something like a fun city. Um, But I guess more actively on the part of fun city, what do you think is like your greatest asset in trying to reach younger audiences? Obviously, the whole point of re-releasing a movie is so that it reaches new people who wouldn't have had the chance to see it before, like, like me or like people younger than me. Um, mm-hmm. what do you think is specifically for fun city is your greatest asset rather than just relying on open-mindedness? What do you think you're, you're putting out there? That's like, this is, this is how we're approaching. This is our, this is our a secret weapon for reaching younger folk. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Anything is really a, a, a secret per se, but uh, like I said before, I mean, for me, it, it's pretty simple. I just really try to, uh, I try to see what hooks I, you know, what 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 uh, aspects of a of one of these older titles I can make, you know, kind of connect with something that's more contemporary uh, mm-hmm. and and you know something that's cool now, and if I you know can you know make a few of those connections between. Um, and some, you know, new, uh, films or filmmakers or music or whatever and say, oh, you know, like I said, draw, you know, kind of bring, draw the, the, make that connection with something that, you know, is maybe was a direct influence or maybe it's mm-hmm. an indirect influence, but yeah, that, I mean, that's basically, that's how I'm looking at it. But, you know, again, like, uh, I mean, younger is all, is all relative. Like I've been working, you know, I, I, I came up in the business and I still sometimes think of myself as a young person, um, in the business, but then I've been in the business for 20 years. And so there's like all these, you know, much younger, uh, folks that I was started to work with towards in the last few years and they're 20 years younger than me. And I, but I still would think of my, I still would think of often up until recently thought of myself as like the young part of the young whippersnappers. And, Mm. you know, we were working for the, you know, working for boomers and now the boomers are still there, of course, uh, because, you know, they never quit. Um, But yeah, now it's like, I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. So I can't, I, I, there's always, there's always, what I'm saying is there's always more you can learn about um, what, what's, what's young or what is, you know, what is in or what is, cool. mm-hmm. you know, you, you have to be open to that. And, and, and I mean, that's the only way you can kind of, uh, um, you know, stay in touch, I guess. Uh, it would right. certainly be, uh, yeah, I would certainly be, um, you know, um, I'd be lying if I, if I, you know, said I had some great, uh, secret cause I'm, cause I'm not, I'm not one of the kids now. So, um, <laughs> But yeah, well, you're gonna you're gonna tell me the fact that you have laser discs on a shelf behind you is an oh. indicator of like age or subjective. Well, you know, but, but here's, well, here's here's the funny thing though. Actually, one one thing I do know, and this is from uh, friends of mine that are that sell records and sell physical media for a living, mm-hmm. is that um, and I'm talking about defunct things like you know RCA Selectivision. Uh, they said that, and they sell to college kids. I have a good friend of mine. He would he, <laughs> before COVID, he would set up. Uh, a couple times every semester um, at one of the SUNY schools here. And he had these kids that were, you know, 19 or 20 years old and he's selling VHS and he's selling Selectivision, sells laser discs. And these kids are, it's complete. They were not alive or if they were, they were not sentient, you know, when, 
any of these formats were, you know, actually still being produced. And he said, that's the audience. They were like, loved it. They were like, oh, I want to watch this movie on Laserdisc. Like I've seen it before on DVD, or but I want to see it on VHS or I want to watch it on Laserdisc. Or they just want to have, they, they like having this stuff, you know, as display too. Uh-huh. So it's surprising, but it's, it's true. Um, yeah. I mean, so. I don't want to, because it's a, because it's opinion, it, like none of this is fact, but I would say like, if you do have a secret weapon, like there's nothing that you no email you can send. That's the perfect combination of letters. You said there's no such formula, but like it relies so heavily on like one man banding it, your subject subjectivity, right? Like it's, it's a lot of trust for people all the way down the chain from the people who hold the rights to the people who are going right. to buy or not buy the movie that it's like something worth pursuing that it is a movie right. that you should see that is a movie that like deserve quote unquote deserves a space on your shelf or even just like the treatment that you can give it um so right, right. i mean not to say that like again i don't mean to reframe your answer or anything but like i think there is something to be said for your own ability to process that like your, your sure. knowledge no, of movies, your interest in them no absolutely yeah it's not i i probably made it dumbed it down to the to the point that it just sounds like um yeah, if you have the, you know, if you, it, it, obviously it's more than just having, um, you know, the, the uh, capital and, and the desire mm-hmm. to do it or, you know, having uh, the contacts. Yeah, you, you, yeah, you absolutely have to have had, I mean, I have a lifetime of being obsessed with these things, you know, mm-hmm. with these movies on various uh, formats. And so, yeah, absolutely. There's, you know, uh, subjectivity, personal personal taste and just if i don't know a feel you know yeah i mean but i i don't i don't uh no one would claim to have like you know a, a perfect uh batting average or like be you know 2020 but yeah absolutely you know i'm going on 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 some kind of instinct for sure mm-hmm. and it's in it is informed by uh as i said just a lifetime of of you know basically um you know, eating, drinking, and sleeping this stuff. So, <laughs> Well, here's to that. Um, we are coming up on an hour and we don't want to keep you way too long. Uh, but, and I regret if we had another hour, I would love to talk way deep specifics about walking the edge and radio <laughs> on. If you, if you get time, I would love to welcome you back to the show to talk about well, those movies. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, you know, we still have a few minutes, so, you know, um, <laughs> Uh, me, so, you know? so, Hey, in walking the edge, when Robert Forster stabs the guy in the bathroom, is he stabbing him in his butthole? Is that what's happening? I, I, I kind of, I, I always felt like, yeah, that was probably what it, was happening there. It's yeah, shot yeah, and it yeah. sounds like it. Some real squelchy oh, uh, ADR yeah, on that. Yeah. I, I don't know yeah. when was the last time you watched it, but I just watched it this afternoon and it was a, it was an uncomfortable over my lunch type movie. Uh, no, oh, it was, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> it's more, gra- it is, it, it, it does, it does get a little grindhousey in the, in some of the, gra- it, there is some graphic stuff in there for sure i mean mm-hmm. they were playing you know and that's it was marketed towards a. it's not a horror movie but it has some horror level of violence i think you know mm-hmm. yeah, yeah there's like sure yeah it's there's a lot of uh i guess since straw dogs came before it i was name dropping straw dogs in that same conversation of like guy pushed a little too far really right. strangely distorted motivations he wants to like he's feeling his passed out because he was like could have been somebody type guy anyway yeah there's yeah. a lot more to say about that movie that i uh, that we would love love to love to chat about it's, um it's definitely more than meets the eye i do think there's like more there's you know there's some 
it's been fun to read people's reactions to it because I think people were maybe expecting it just to be a um, revenge thriller, you know, a vigilante um, movie. And then it's like a character. There's a lot of it. A lot of it is a character Mm -hmm. study. And it's it's a great showcase for Robert Forster. It really made me. I watched it with an audience at the uh, New Beverly in the summer, and um, people were just with. They might have. There was some stuff people laughed at in the movie, uh, like laughed at uh, that that you know, um, which is not the good kind of laughing in the theater. <laughs> but they were always with Bob Forster. Like people love. He is beloved. Uh, and mm-hmm. all these theaters also people will talk about how, oh, he was a regular at the New Beverly or he was a regular uh, at the Lemley theaters. You know, wow. like he was a guy who actually went to the, you know, he would go see the movies there, uh, which is so cool. Um, but that's the thing that I like, you know, have really enjoyed, you know, reading those reactions like people saying, oh, wow, it's actually like a really good it's a it's a setup for Jackie Brown. It really is like a dry run. His character is in so many ways um, kind of a warm up for Max Cherry. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, rest in peace, Robert Forster. Uh, Jonathan, thank you, thank you so much for taking the time to do this with us. Um, like I said, we'd be happy to have you back, right, you know, anytime. But uh, we're not much to sneeze at. But hey, uh, if you're ever feeling like it, talking to some weirdos from Minneapolis who go to a little <laughs> theater. Uh, but uh, tell us what people should look out for. We'll have our plugs and stuff all throughout the episode. But what should people look out for from Fun City Editions over the next few weeks? Well, uh, we already talked about it, but the big one is, uh, is Morvern Collar, um, which is, uh, you know, in pre-order now, uh, as we, as we speak, uh, uh, you know, in early January and that will be shipping out, hopefully, um, shipping delays from the, uh, manufacturer notwithstanding, uh, by the end of this month. And I'm super excited about that one. We've had our biggest response, uh, to Morvern on social media, uh, sales have been really good so far. I'm super just over the moon that we that were able to put it out and that we, we got it. And it's definitely bringing new, you know, more, new audience to our, mm-hmm. you know, brand, um, and, you know, different, different eyes are on us now, which is great. Um, we'll have another title announced, uh, on February 1st, uh, on, on the, uh, vinegar syndrome, uh, website, you know, the part of the, uh, we're, we're one of the, uh, as I mentioned, OCN uh, partner labels. So we'll have a new title announced in a, in a few weeks or a couple of weeks after this airs. Okay. Uh, but I don't want to spoil that. Yeah, um, no. I, just wanna, I just want to, uh, I just have like, because I only do one title a month at this point. I just kind of, you know, I really just kind of stick with the, uh, I let the, the first announcement of uh, the titles, you know, be when, when they announce on, at, you know, the first of the month uh, on the, on the website over yeah. at Vinegar Syndrome. Well, well, buddy, we've got 121 Twitter followers. I don't mean to like, you know, throw my weight around or anything, but I, <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you don't have I'm to tem- worry about that. I'm totally tempted. I would, you know, if you said <laughs> you were airing the show in like a, in a few months, then I would, then I would uh, <laughs> spill more. Um because it would be, you know, it would be current. Uh, no, just just email show. us about it. You've got our email. That but, um, um, but I do want to. I do want to mention. I see the girl walks home alone at night poster there in the corner, and um, I, and I'm proud to say I, I I that was one of the that was probably the biggest title I ever worked on at uh, at Kino. Um, Absolutely. Did wow. the sale? Uh, you know, I did the the the, the rollout for that theatrically, uh, and that was a lot of fun. Um, cause those, those types of movies don't come along that often, um, where right. you don't have to do any selling. People just want it. Um, so 
I would sometimes get in these conversations with people, my coworkers that were not as, they weren't so keen on the movie. And I would just say, you know what? I mean, as a salesperson, I don't, in that case, like I, it's like, I don't care if the movie, if you think the movie sucks or the movie's brilliant. And the fact is it was, it, it, you know, in this business where it's so hard to make money, like that movie was, that was a major. So, uh, very cool to see the poster there. Yeah, and well, hey, for it what stands it's worth, out. Thank you for your service. Yeah, oh yeah, and, and <laughs> it stands out. I'm for glad. A I'm glad it. I'm glad it made that much of an impact on you that you have it. You have, you have it no there idea. in your man cave. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, right next to Chicken Run. Yeah, this is the place to be. <laughs> Only on this podcast are you going to get uh, the high-minded cinephiles and Chicken Run. Um, so, thank you again, Jonathan, for being on. I uh, will have plugs and. URLs and everything in the show notes. Um, please catch uh, Morvan Collie when it uh, releases on Front Seat Editions in late January. We will have links, like I said. Uh, and thank you very much, audience, for listening to Try Love. This is a roundtable podcast, a little bit less round these days that we're not actually doing it in person. There's an inside joke here, Jonathan, that we uh, started and we can't we can't actually bring ourselves to kill it. Um, but uh, you can find us on Twitter at Try Love Podcast. Find the Tryline at Tryline Cinema. Find them at Tryline.org where you can get tickets to showings for all sorts of movies, including most recent. Uh, a few that come from, uh, directly from uh, Jonathan's work with Fun City Editions. Um, my name is Jason Daphnis. You can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Jonathan, thanks uh, again so much for being here today. Thank you, guys. Really, it's an honor. Really appreciate it. Yeah, and I've, I've been Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at Shitake Harry. That was so fun. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> we got we got we to gotta thank you one last time, and you got to say it again like... Just say you're welcome. We can end the show on this. (laughs) 